Hello, and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things, a podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and learn a little bit more about how they came to be. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thanks for joining me today. Let's get things rolling. So a couple of years ago, I worked at a retail store in a ski resort town. I loved my job, and it was really fun to meet so many different people from all over the country and sometimes from around the world. As winter came about, it brought with it skiing season, and one of my best openers that quickly shut down conversations with customers was to let them know that I did not, in fact, ski. Living in the state with a license plate that boasts the best snow on earth, this was practically sacrilege to some people. Most people just wanted me to finish checking them out so they could get on with the rest of their shopping. I had a pretty rough start with skiing, mostly because I only really knew how to stop my downhill progress with my face. Attempts over the years had left me crying angry tears on the ski slopes and telling my dad not to take it personally, but at that moment, on that slope, I hated him. And no, I didn't mean it, but I also could not stop saying it. As a 20-something-year-old. Not my finest moments. But all of this changed as I gave skiing one last go. My brother taught me the ropes, and I made it down the slopes without falling once. My face was saved, and I decided to give skiing another go. As I began researching the history of skiing, the very first piece of information I came across was that of a painting of a two-year-old king of Norway being taken to safety by two intrepid skiers in about 1206. Obviously, my interest was piqued. Skiers saving a king of Norway? All right, you got me. Let's go. Turns out that skiing has been used for hunting and trapping for at least the last 5,000 years, and maybe even further back. We've found rock paintings of skis and even some preserved in bogs, but turns out we can go even further back. In the Stone Age, when glaciers started to move and melt, hunters followed their quarry across Asia's Altai region. To help them as they pursued reindeer, they would use skis covered in fur. These worked like climbing skins. A 5,000-year-old rock painting depicts skiers in the Xinjiang region of what is modern-day China. The earliest find of skis were in Russia and dated back to 6,000 years ago. In Scandinavia, through the Middle Ages, farmers, hunters, and warriors would use skis. These skis were originally asymmetrical, meaning that one of the skis was significantly longer than the other. The shorter ski would often be covered in fur, so as to allow for some grip on the snow. Skiers would also sometimes use poles, which would either be a bow or a spear if uh, the skier was a hunter, or just a pole. And the skier would use both the pole and the shorter ski to push himself or herself forward on one longer ski. These weren't the only types of skis, however. Overall, researchers have identified three main types of skis in days of yore. We have the Arctic, Southern, and Central Nordic skis. The Arctic ski was short, covered with fur, and used from northern Japan to the Ob River in the west. Researchers suspect that the Sami people were the ones who introduced these skis to the Nordic region. The southern ski had one long ski and one short ski. These were used more in highly forested areas in Scandinavia and the Baltics. The central Nordic ski also had one short ski with fur and one long ski without. These were used in Finland, Sweden, and Norway. Asymmetrical skis were also used by seal hunters in the Gulf of Bothnia. The long ski was even longer than normal standards and was used to allow the hunter to approach shooting distance of the seal's breathing hole without spooking the seal. 
When I say long, I mean three to four meters long. That is between 10 and 13 feet. Imagine trying to turn around on one of those things. This also kept them safe from cracking the ice. Skis don't just dot the pages of history, however. They are also found in myth and lore. In Norse mythology, the god Ullura and the goddess Skadi hunted on skis and later became the god and goddess of hunting and skiing. Beyond legend, it is argued that the Sami people have been practicing skiing for 6,000 years. In 950 CE, King Hakon the Good is said to have sent out tax collectors on skis. I suppose they needed a quick getaway. You remember that baby I mentioned earlier? In 1206, Hakon IV of Norway was transported via ski soldiers through hills and valleys between Gudbrandsdalen and Osterdalen, which is now the course for the Birkebeinerennet Ski Marathon. I don't speak Norwegian. It wasn't long until skiing went from a travel necessity to a military advantage. In the 13th century, ski-equipped Danish troops were recorded by historian Saxo Grammaticus. These troops worked like cavalry in the snowy terrain. In Trondheim, the garrison there used skis from 1675 onward, and special skiing battalions existed in the Danish-Norwegian army from 1747. By the 18th century, the Swedish army trained and competed on skis, first as a means of transportation and then as a military tactic. Skiing had a ways to go, however, before it got to recreational usage. But by the 1800s, skiing began to be considered recreation and a sport. Norwegians brought skiing to the United States around 1836, specifically to the Midwest. At this time, skis were nicknamed Norwegian snowshoes. Skis began to make the journey west, however, with a Norwegian immigrant nicknamed Snowshoe Thompson. In 1856, he moved mail by skiing through the Sierra Nevada. Skis were also a tool for exploration, as in 1888, Norwegian explorer Fridtjof Nansen and his team crossed Greenland's ice cap using skis. More Norwegians introduced skis in Buenos Aires in 1890. By 1902, the Norwegian consul in Kobe introduced ski equipment to the Japanese. Many Japanese soldiers died during snowstorms, and the introduction of skiing was meant to help solve that problem. Initially, skis were thick pieces of wood. It was necessary that the wood was thick so as to better distribute the weight of the skier and keep them from sinking into the snow. If the wood was too thin, the skier would find themselves sinking into the snow and having to constantly climb out of the holes that they created. Before 1840, in Telemark, a province of Norway, carpenters created the cambers ski. These skis favored a bow shape, which cambered the arch of the skier. A camber is a slightly convex or arched shape, definition courtesy of dictionary.com there. This better distributed the weight of the skier across the rest of the ski, out from the middle. Telemark, Norway also happens to be the homeland of some of my ancestors, so I was excited to hear that Telemark was the home of the camber ski and not, well, telemarketing. Low-hanging fruit, guys. You gotta pick it. At about the same time, ski makers discovered that a side cut on the ski made for more agility, particularly when navigating turns. Sondre Nordheim and his friends worked on improving the Telemark ski from 1850 to 1900, including popularizing stiffer bindings that kept the heel centered on the ski when turning. About 1887, as hickory wood became popular, many Norwegians relocated to the United States to make skis, where hickory was much more easily accessible. In 1893, in Switzerland, Melchior Jacobe launched the first ski factory. 
Asymmetrical skis were still in use up until the 1930s. This was partially to do with the different types of skiing, as much of skiing had been practical means of transportation and could be considered something akin to cross-country skiing. By the 1950s, however, Howard Head introduced the Head Standard. This ski was made specifically for a recreational market. By the 1960s, skis had made the jump from wood to plywood with aluminum to fiberglass. By 1993, we started to get different styles of skis that are much more similar to what you may see today, with a wider tip and tail, a bit skinnier in the middle, called the waist, and bent into a little bit of a curved shape to help you with your turns. In 1908, the first ski lift gave the sport yet another makeover. More time could be spent going down the mountain rather than repeatedly hiking uphill. The first rope tow was introduced in 1910, and in 1936, in Sun Valley, Idaho, skiers were treated to the first chairlift, one of my favorite parts of skiing. We won't go into it here, but it is fun to learn that one of the precursors to the snowboard was patented in 1939 as Snowsurf, and later, in 1965, we were introduced to the Snurfer. Oh yeah, enjoy that nugget of history. The Snurfer almost could have been so close. So remember how earlier I said I didn't like skiing because I only knew how to stop with my face? Meaning falling face first into the snow and eventually using my body to slow my descent? Well, it turns out there is a very good reason to be afraid of hitting the snow face first when traveling at skiing speeds. The official world record for fastest skiing speed comes in at a frightening, or exhilarating depending on your fancy, 254.958 kilometers per hour or 158.424 miles per hour. That feat was achieved by Ivan Origone of Italy. And for the women, it was 247.083 kilometers per hour or 153.53 miles an hour by Valentina Greggio, also of Italy. So imagine going that fast and only knowing how to stop face first. I rest my case. Just for a frame of reference, the very first speed record for skiing was set in 1874 by Tommy Todd. His record speed was 141 kilometers an hour, or 87 miles an hour. We are nearly at twice as fast as he was going. That's insane. People have certainly pushed the limits with skiing, from helicoptering onto dangerous terrain to parachute skiing. The world champion ski jumper, a young 23-year-old Austrian lad by the name of Stefan Kraft, holds the record at 253.5 meters. That's 831 feet. Must feel like flying. These days, the skiing and snowboarding industry is a $3.4 billion industry. And with such filmmakers as Warren Miller, may you rest in peace, making it look positively breathtaking, it is no wonder that this is a sport that has captured the hearts of millions. So if you, like me, don't like skiing, and you want to give it one more go, I will happily volunteer my brother to teach you. He's very good. So avoid the moose, enjoy the slopes, and hope you have a great rest of your week. Thanks for listening.